I think by far the funniest thing that happened today was Bears wide receiver Javon Wims sucker punching Saints corner CJ Gardner-Johnson. Now stop me if I'm bugging right now because I got a take on this. Obviously, CJ Gardner-Johnson, nothing you can do if you're him and Javon Wims just duffs you with no warning, right? I'm not going to hold that against him. But if you watch the clip after the first punch, he just stands there and looks at this man in the face, doesn't do anything, doesn't get his stance up, doesn't get his arms up, and then Javon Wims just hits him with the double sucker punch, which by the way, crazy move. Usually you're not able to get that off because the, the person's going to be on high alert after the first one. So am I bugging or is CJ Gardner-Johnson kind of responsible for the second punch? Like you got to be ready after the first one comes. Like don't just think it's over. <laughs> Well, I think he was kind of surprised because he was probably thinking like, yo, what the hell is this dude doing? Why is he punching me in the face? Because it's like nothing really happened for him to act out like that. And then Wims just started going hard on uh, CJ on CJ for no reason. So he got caught by surprise and it was pretty funny. He was just standing there. It was, it was hilarious. And But it's like, first of all, if you want to do damage to your opponent, don't punch them in a helmet like it's a helmet my guy you're not going to hurt them you're gonna hurt yourself by punching them put them in a chokehold like aj green did to jalen ramsey or spear them or something like full-on just wwe his shit like don't punch them in the helmet makes no sense to me have you ever been sucker punched or sucker punched somebody else no what would it take like what would somebody have to do to you for you to like actively plan to just sucker punch them (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, probably a lot. I don't I don't think I'll ever be in a situation where I'll have to sucker punch somebody twice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, like I don't think sucker punches are off limit. You know, maybe I'm a scumbag, but like, you know, all's fair in love and war, right? If we're to the point where we're in like physical altercation territory, damn right I'll sucker punch you. I'll do anything to get that dub. Like you're gonna be sitting there like, oh man, this dude's a sucker for coming at me out of out of nowhere. Okay, but you're the one on the ground. Like, I already won. This isn't the Civil War where, we're, you know, when we're about to fight, we line up and shake hands and point our rifles at each other. You know, anything, anything to win. That's the kind, that's kind of how I look at it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 102 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to recap the entire week eight NFL slate from a DFS perspective review some of the highly owned cash game plays and the decision points surrounding them. We've got a new segment where we're going to review the million dollar lineup, the Millie Maker winner. And then as always, we will close out the show with some of our interesting stats of the week. But before we get into any of that, Joey, would you mind telling the people how they can support the podcast? You can help support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet out everything in regards to our content or our videos that we may publish through throughout the week. So make sure you're following us over there to be updated on everything that we do. And then if you're not already, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use. So Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, you know, whichever one that you use, the DFS Dose is on there. Make sure you are subscribed 
subscribed or followed uh, should be right under the podcast. So it's easy. It's free. So make sure you are subscribed and then you can subscribe to the DFS Dose YouTube channel. We've been saying it for a couple episodes now. We're trying to get to 100 subscribers. We're at 97. We get a couple subscribers every single day, but we just need three more to hit triple digits. So help us out over there. Go subscribe to the DFS Dose YouTube channel where we put out videos every single week and clips from this podcast. So make sure you subscribe over there, please. Please. We do appreciate each and every sub, each and every follow on the podcast. It all means a lot. Now let's get right into the week eight slate, starting off with the highly owned cash game plays as well as our results in cash games. So the chalk this week, looking over the highly owned plays from the massive single entry $25 double up on DraftKings. At the running back position, unsurprisingly, Kareem Hunt and Jamal Williams, the two highest owned running backs on the slate. Hunt at 72.1, Jay Will at 65%. Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara coming in behind them, each in the 30s. Henry at 34, Kamara at 31. Wide receiver really centered around two guys, Keenan Allen and Denzel. Mims, Keenan at 60, and Mims at 43.4% owned. Bunch of ancillary wide receivers made up the wide receiver three spot on a lot of people's rosters, all between 22 and 25%. Brandon Ayu, Kendrick Bourne, Tyler Lockett, and AJ Green. At quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo dominated ownership at 46.4%, one of the reasons the cash line was so low this week, undoubtedly. And at tight end, George Kittle, the highest owned at 23 All in all, it was a very low scoring week in cash games on DraftKings. The cash line in most of these double ups was sitting around 119. Joey, how did you do on the slate? Yeah, I mean, it was a hard L for me. Mm. Um, So in, in cash games, my lineup ended up scoring 89 points, which is god awful. So, you know, missed the cash line by about, what, 40 or or 30 or whatever. So didn't win many head to heads, didn't win any double ups, basically teetering around, you know, like a 5% win rate on the week. I did have some solid tournament lineups. I had a lineup that did score over 200, but within that lineup, I made some bad plays and so. So I didn't really cash with that lineup. So all in all, I mean, I salvaged some money on tournaments, but it was it was an L all around. So just got to take it on the chin. Indeed you do. For myself, also kind of the same story, made a profit in tournaments, had DK Metcalf as my highest owned wide receiver across tournament lineups, had Dalvin Cook as my highest owned running back across tournament lineup. So that was really all I needed to profit on the day, despite an average day in cash games. I won about 50% of my head-to-head, zero of my double-ups with a cash score of 112.66. And, you know, I'm not usually the one to make excuses, and this isn't an excuse, but I just need to tell you about the utter self-destruction that I caused upon myself this week in cash games. This morning, woke up Sunday morning around 9 a.m., as I always do, to get ready And the cash line that I had set had a 3v3 compared to what I ended off with. So this morning, Joey, I had Dalvin Cook, Brandon Mm. Ayuk, and Dolphins defense in my cash line. Sounds phenomenal, right? Sounds like a, you know, 90 plus percentile (laughs) cash finish. So how did I end up with 112.66? Well, I big brained it and I pivoted off Dalvin Cook up to Alvin Kamara off Ayuk down to dusty ass AJ Green and off 
Dolphins D paid up, you know, had to get a better defense in there off the one that scored 23 points to get up to Titans who dropped a nice negative one. So all in all, I cost myself 69.5 points in that 3v3 switch, just absolutely terrible. And then to make matters worse, you know, I feel like I'm drawing dead coming into the afternoon game. So I make a pivot, pivot off of Russell Wilson and Keenan Allen. Thought Keenan Allen would be highly owned, extremely highly owned, and he was in cash games, by far the highest owned wide receiver. So I went down off Russ to Jimmy G and up to Metcalf, left Alvin Kamara in there. That difference was only about 4.58 points, so it wouldn't really have got it done in terms of cashing and double ups, but all in all, just absolutely terrible. Took over 100 points out of my own cash lineup this week, and it feels bad, man. Feels really bad. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I mean, that is a very tough scene. And, you know, I think that just goes into the conversation that could be had about, do you want to pivot to the chalkier plays that everybody's going to be on? Or do you want to trust your own gut and go with some guys that are going to be lower owned, like Cook, who would have been 10%, but he scored 50 points, like, and you said you had him in your cash lineup. And I'm assuming, like, thinking through it pre-lock, you're like, all right, Camara is just as good of a play, and he's also going to have more ownership. So, like, in hindsight, it makes sense to make that pivot. But, you know, if you truly believe that, somebody is a better play like if you truly thought that cook was a better play than Kamara, and i know you did because you said it multiple times throughout the week in our discord chat then do you trust yourself to play that instead of going to the chalk and and that's just something that a lot of players struggle with i feel like maybe in the future you just stick and 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 see what happens maybe i mean i don't think that that is necessarily one of my problems i don't think that i'm afraid to fade high owned chalky plays in cash games i don't think i'm that type of player i will do it i'll be off on my own world sometimes in cash games the thing with me this week was dalvin cook you know was a road underdog with like a 21 or 22 point total second division game coming off of injury i just thought that there were enough reasons to get over to camaro whose target share i mean it was exactly what we expected he had like 13 targets on the day And just in terms of floor, I thought Cooks was much, much lower. And A.J. Green, Ayuk, I mean, I for sure thought A.J. Green would see more targets. Turns out Ayuk is the one who saw 10+, plus, and A.J. Green only saw 5. And, you know, the defenses, although Dolphins did snap, I'm never making lineup decisions based on defense. It's always just going to be whatever fits with me. So, I mean, do you feel like those were valid reasons to get off of Cook? I'm just curious. Yeah, definitely valid. But, I mean, we talked about it that Cook coming into this week had, you know, three weeks of rest. And they said from the jump that he was going to play in this game and probably wasn't going to be limited. And then with the weather, which we will talk about in a bit, you could project for a more run-heavy game script in Green Bay due to the win there. So, as a road underdog, I could see why Faith cook in cash games was the right move from a process standpoint but cook is an elite running back in the nfl on a team that focuses on getting him the ball and getting him touches and he had the best matchup on the board going up against the packers defense that we've seen for the last two or three seasons now they just cannot stop opposing running backs and we saw today dalvin cook just absolutely ate up the Packers defense so like some Halloween candy just (laughs) chomped them up with no remorse but (laughs) let's dive into some of the key decision points on the slate most people weren't debating between Cook and Kamara most people were debating between Henry and Kamara I went Kamara you went Henry on this slate 
How do you feel about that decision in retrospect? Do you stand by it? And what was it about Henry that was a priority for you over Alvin Kamara? Yeah, I mean, I thought both were great plays. I thought both projected very similarly for this spot. I mean, Alvin Kamara was on the road going into Chicago, which is always a tough place to play. And there was weather in that game as well. So I downgraded him a little bit, but obviously with all of the Saints wide receivers basically out, you could project for him to have a large target share, which we saw with 13 targets, obviously. So that helped him get there. And then with Henry, I thought the Titans would go into Cincinnati and control the game, especially since Cincinnati was down four of their five starting offensive line. And so they trotted out, you know, a second string offensive line. I thought the the Titans would easily dominate this game and it just didn't happen. And Derrick Henry didn't even get over 20 touches for like the first time all season, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, Henry ended up getting there, got 20 points, got the 100 yard bonus and a touchdown, no catches. Kamara got there on his catches, but he didn't get the bonus or a touchdown. So I thought both were great plays. And, you know, I I would say that the game script worked out for Alvin Kamara and the game script didn't work out for Derrick Henry. And that's just how it goes sometimes. Yeah. And this decision was much closer to me than it would be on most weeks for the same exact reason that you said. I thought the game environment was much better for Henry. The Titans team total was much, much better than the Saints was. It was just a matter for me of the game flow independence, which I didn't necessarily believe Henry was, even though I really didn't consider the fact that the Titans would be losing in the spot but yeah I mean just the usage that Kamara's seeing right now is kind of unrivaled by any player in the NFL and I mean he's put up 20 points in three straight weeks without scoring a touchdown you know if you can get there without the touchdown you can get there without the bonus just on your receptions and yardage you're just a different kind of animal for cash games with your floor and with the ceiling that you have if you are able to hit those bonuses or you are able to score that touchdown so For me, I think Camara sub 9K without Michael Thomas is almost an auto lock. It took me until Sunday morning to get there, but eventually I did, unfortunately, since Cook was the guy I was considering. I think the second biggest decision point on this slate was whether or not you were going to pay up for quarterback. Russell Wilson at 7,800 was a standout play in my opinion, but Jimmy Garoppolo was by far the highest owned quarterback in cash games nearly 50% owned in double ups. He had the affordable price tag. He had the nut matchup. How did you feel about Jimmy Garoppolo? You were on him all along. I pivoted there out of desperation in the afternoon games. Pretty committed to Russ. I had him as a priority play in the cash game article on the DFS Dose website. And for me, it was never really a matter of getting down to Jimmy until it was, uh, you know, a pressure situation where I felt like I had to. Yeah, I mean, just with Jimmy being 5,400, it allowed for you to fit a lot of studs into your lineup um especially if you went you know paying up for the three running backs like you know hunt henry camara or if you paid up at tight end for one of kittle or kelsey or if you paid up for two high price wide receivers jimmy g just fit the build now i will say i was toying with lineups right up until lock with russell wilson and with jimmy g so i wasn't set in stone on playing jimmy g until i thought i found you know the lineup that i wanted to run for today for the reason that i just said it just helped the build and i mean jimmy garoppolo this man is is god awful i'm sorry nick mullins came in after jimmy g left the game due to injury we all know he got benched though but left the game due to injury nick mullins comes in and he throws for what like 300 yards and two touchdowns jimmy g couldn't even get 50 yards come on man (laughs) 
this dude is god awful. And I, I guess Russ or Mahomes, which we did, we didn't even consider Mahomes, and he was in probably the best spot on the board. Uh, so I think playing one of them in cash was the right move this week instead of paying down to this absolutely bonafide scrub in Jimmy Garoppolo this year. Yeah, Jimmy's bad. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get legit bench this time. I mean, they were talking about it, then they recommitted to him. And now, I mean, how can you go back to him? He completely stagnates their entire offense. He just brings it down. You know, the thing with me, the reason why I never considered Jimmy Garoppolo, I didn't write him up in the cash pool. I know that he was going to be one of the most popular plays. I had him as a fade, not because I thought he was going to get injured slash benched, but because this is a team that if they have their way, Jimmy G is going to finish a game with, you know, 20 to 25 attempts. It's a spot where if the coach has his way, they're going to be running the ball. And Jimmy G has no rushing equity. It, It was really a situation where it was matchup based entirely as to why you would play them. And if matchup is the only reason you're a good play, I don't think you're actually a good play. That's something I stand by. Hashtag defense doesn't matter. I am disappointed in myself that I went down there, but ultimately it was to fit Metcalf who snapped and it did, you know, help me salvage quite a bit of my head to heads, even though I missed the cash line. Even still, I mean, Russell Wilson, I think was the clear play this week, even compared to Mahomes who, yeah, matchup was great. Total was great, but we were all projecting, you know, Mahomes to make it maybe three quarters into the game before we saw some serious Chad Henney action. I don't think that actually happened, or maybe it did at the very tail end, but yeah, I mean, Mahomes just absolutely dominated 416 yards and five touchdowns, completely demolished the Jets. The third and final biggest decision point, I think, on this slate was how much You are going to let weather impact your decision-making. It was the story of the week. Several games expected to see extreme high wins. And, you know, you tweeted just yesterday, nobody's scared of a little wind. So I feel like I know the answer to this question, but, (laughs) you know, how important was adjusting your lineups to, to account for the weather we were expecting play a part in your process? You think I'm going to let a little wind impact my DFS decisions? (laughs) Absolutely no shot. I stacked the Cincinnati-Tennessee game (laughs) in the Millie Maker. I don't care. I'm not letting a little win. These are professional quarterbacks that have played in basically every element possible. If they can't play in a little win, if they can't function correctly in 15 to 20 mile an hour wins, then maybe you shouldn't be in the NFL. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I'm not letting weather dictate you know my lineups unless it is like severe like snow or severe rain or like a hundred mile an hour winds like hurricane type weather other than that no like i didn't let the weather impact my lineup making um you know cleveland and las vegas they their game went under the total and the that was one of the biggest weather games right yeah definitely in terms of wind it was supposed to be the worst Yeah, and so it went under, and you could make an argument that the weather did impact that game, but you could also make the argument that those two offenses are god-awful, and they were just completely stagnant the entire game, although it did start downpouring in the middle of that game, so maybe that did play a part, but I think that is the reason why it went under is because they are too you know, bad offenses. Um, and then some of the other weather games went over, like the Cincinnati Tennessee game went over, the Green Bay Minnesota game went over, Devontae Adams had 30 points again. So just just all in all, I'm not letting it impact 
my lineups ever. And, you know, I think you and I have a different perspective because, you know, we live in upstate New York. We live an hour away from Buffalo. So, you know, this weather, this is nothing new. We don't have the forest fires that they have on the West Coast and earthquakes and all that. But, you know, wind, rain, snow, sleet, all that, that's just, you know, a regular Monday. So, God, you know, if we can handle it walking down the street, going to work every day, so can these athletes. That's kind of how I look at it as well. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but there there's literally YouTube videos that tell you how to throw the ball properly if it's windy outside. So there shouldn't be an excuse why these million dollar players can't throw the ball in a little wind. And we saw it today with a bunch of the games going over the totals that Vegas set for them. Yeah, obviously the coaches never sat Baker or Derek Carr down and showed them the YouTube yeah. videos. That's that's the problem. <laughs> that's a fact. That's that's an absolute fact. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, Before we move on to the next segment, this isn't necessarily a decision point, but maybe it should have been. Neither of us really considered getting off of Kareem Hunt, and neither did most of the field. He was the highest owned player in cash games, and we've both said it multiple times, especially in the offseason during, you know, the best ball podcasts and pre-fantasy draft podcasts, that if Nick Chubb were ever to go down with injury, we both believed that Kareem Hunt would be a top five fantasy back instantaneously now chubb's been out for what four weeks at this point cream hunt has not scored over 20 fantasy points in one of those games is it time to reevaluate the way that we look at cream hunt that's a good question i think hunt is obviously one of the most talented running backs in the NFL, but he's not being used in the passing game how we would expect him to be used. So that limits his upside on a weekly basis. And he just hasn't been good in fantasy. Now, I don't know if that's just because the Browns offense has been kind of inefficient ever since Chubb went down and Hunt's not really getting it done on the ground right now either. But you know, in this matchup specifically, he was 6,900. He was going to be the highest owned running back on the slate. So there, was, I don't think there was a reason to get off Hunt, especially, uh, you know, against the Raiders. But moving forward, I think we should bump his stock down a little bit until, you know, he proves that he can get it done because he's had mediocre games for the last two or three weeks now. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't really get much better than this spot. Raiders were giving up the second most fantasy points per game to running back right behind Green Bay. So this was as good of a spot as it would get. The weather concerns, you know, led me to believe that there would be more work on the ground. Cream Hunt has not suffered from usage, even though he's not getting the receiving work that maybe he deserves. He's still seen three or more targets in all these games since Nick Chubb went out. So I I guess I don't really know what the answer is because as far as, you know, I'm thinking Cream Hunt, like you said, one of the most talented backs in the league he now has the opportunity that he previously didn't and he's still not capitalizing so I think it's maybe time to stop thinking of him as a pure slam dunk I think the upside is still there but it's clearly time to reevaluate what his floor is even in this boosted role yeah I definitely agree uh, on that point all right let's get into our new segment the million dollar lineup recapping the millie making winning team we're gonna get into Joey's wheelhouse here you know Joey does the millie maker preview video every week on the DFS dose YouTube channel and I wanted to pick his brain on the team that won it all that shipped the millie shipped seven digits or you know or like 700,000 after taxes. And the team this week was a Kansas City stack, Mahomes to Kelsey and Demarcus Robinson, my son. 
and brought it back with Denzel Mims, had Delvin Cook and Derrick Henry at running back, DK Metcalf at wide receiver with Kendrick Bourne as a correlation play with Metcalf, sort of, you know, game stacking that game without actually stacking it. Dolphins D is sort of a one-off defensive play. How do you feel about this lineup? How do you feel about the construction? Was it a good lineup that won? Was it a fish lineup that luck boxed into glory? He left 100 on the board and the cumulative ownership of this team was 111.9%. I think it's a really good lineup. Like you mentioned, it is very correlated with the chief stack. He brought it back with Mims, uh, correlated the Seahawks and 49ers game, and then made a couple good one-offs. Obviously, Dolphins defense snapped at 2,400 on DraftKings, but you know defense is basically just lottery either way. So good pick with the Dolphins. And yeah, I mean, it's an easy game, right? Play the Chiefs. Mahomes, Kelsey, Demarcus Robinson, like you said, your boy was 3,100. They had a 34 and a half point team total at home against the worst team in the NFL that literally can't stop anybody. I, it was a fairly obvious stack and I didn't even play it. So, I mean, shout out to the dude that won it. I think it is a, you know, very solid lineup. He made some good plays, some contrarian plays. Um, construction wise, he played three wide receivers under 3500 which i thought was interesting so he elected to fade a lot of the higher price wide receivers and you know it worked out for him so shout out to him i think it's a pretty solid lineup yeah in a week where Devonte adams catches three touchdowns and smashes he was not needed to bank the millie i think this was a great lineup obviously anytime you can jam denzel mims and demarcus robinson into the same lineup i think you're doing pretty good So I agree with you on the take that this was actually a well-constructed lineup. The person, G Hartman 314, don't know him, don't know if he's in the industry or just a lucky one-time player, but shout out to him. Good lineup. Now we can move on to our final segment of the show where we break down some of the interesting stats from the week. We've already touched on it, but I mean, we have to bring it up in this segment as well. Dalvin Cook just completely demolished the slate. 32 touches for 226 yards, four touchdowns. And I guess what I want to talk about is why was he so low owned? I think he was in the nut matchup. And it seems to me that the main reason why he would have been low owned sub 10% or 10% in the milli to be exact is because he was coming off of injury. And this is something I think you can take advantage of in tournaments, right? You know, the numbers show it. These star players if they're playing, it doesn't matter that they're coming off of injury. If they're playing, you should assume they're good to go. And I think that that is one of the misconceptions. People thought he was probably still hampered by injury and that's what uh, suppressed his ownership this week. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. And then also, you know, with the road underdog stuff that you mentioned earlier, that definitely was a reason why his ownership was so low, but the injury concerns were probably the main reason why he was 10% owned. And I wholeheartedly agree with your take that you know you shouldn't be too concerned about these star players that are coming off injuries if they are active if they're starting like you said they're probably good to go and good to handle their normal workload if they're not you would probably hear about that before the game starts due to you know the nature of nfl reporting where we usually get that information uh, on sunday if a guy isn't going to play the full game which we didn't with cook they said he was good to go uh after he got injured literally the week after they were 
like after the bye week, he's coming back. He's going to be good to go. And he ended up snapping and he broke the slate, scored 50 points, had a great game. And I think people should just stop trying to predict injuries or fading players that are coming back from injury. Like if you're playing tournaments correctly, that shouldn't be a concern. So in in my opinion, injury concerns are they impact your floor, not your ceiling. Yes. So if you're playing tournaments, it really shouldn't even come into play because you're embracing low floor and high mm-hmm. ceiling, which a player like Dalvin Cook obviously has. I mean, this man scored 28 points on his own. That was like a touchdown higher than the entire Vikings team total. So what do you? <laughs> go- so what? What can you do at that point, honestly? But I mean, I was all over Dalvin Cook. Wish I had stuck with him in cash, but he did salvage my day in tournaments along with DK Metcalf. Who, I mean, this man, 12 receptions. 161 yards, two touchdowns on 15 targets. Last week, it was Tyler Lockett. This week, it's DK Metcalf. And I need to ask the question, is DK Metcalf a top five wide receiver in the NFL right now? I think the case is strong that he is. Man, that's a tough question. I mean, DK Metcalf is the definition of a grown man an athletic freak of nature. Literally, I don't think any corner in the league can stop DK Metcalf just due to his size, his speed, and his intangibles as a player. Uh, Top five? Uh, I don't... Maybe. Name five better. Maybe he's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe he's on the cusp. I can't. I can, I don't think I can name five for you right now. I would put Hop. I don't. Man, I don't even know. I, Hopkins, I Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams. That's where the list stops. DK Metcalf is your is your DK fourth? Metcalf number four. Who else are we putting in there? Julio? No. Tyreek Hill. I mean, he's good at what he does. Who else? Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. No. No. Odell, Amari. No. DK Metcalf's top five at me. <laughs> I don't know if I could say that, but I mean, I respect the opinion. So, well, a wide receiver who is undeniably top five, in fact, might be top one in the NFL right now, Devontae Adams. We've already talked about it, but he continued to snap, caught three touchdowns this week on 12 targets, seven for 53 in terms of his yardage. And, you know, he's starting to become, maybe he already has become. The type of player that I think might be worth violating the you know sacred rule that we don't really pay up to the elite wide receivers in cash. He's starting to enter that territory that Michael Thomas was in last year where his target share is just so dominant and his chemistry with Rodgers is so dominant that he is just not like your average wide receiver where there's just such little bust potential. He's so safe. His upside is so high. And it it's really reminiscent to me of when Michael Thomas was, you know, pushing 10,000 on DraftKings last year in terms of his price. And we were willing to eat that chalk. I mean, do you feel that Devontae Adams is in that category at this point? I don't think he's in that category. I think he's on the cusp of getting into that category due to, you know, just his insane target share in this Packers offense. I mean, we've talked about it for months now. He's the only wide receiver in Green Bay that will command targets on a weekly basis. And they scheme up plays for him to score touchdowns. As we saw this week, he scored three touchdowns on seven catches. Now, I will say he's had two great games with Aaron Jones out. I know he has had great games in the past with Aaron Jones in, but once Aaron Jones gets back and takes over as a leader in the backfield, and then Jamal will still get some touches out of there, I think that will uh, decrease Devontae Adams' 
ceiling. And just for me, it's always going to be tough playing, you know, a wide receiver that's going to be over 9K and Devontae Adams probably next week in cash games on DraftKings. So, because you're just going to need for him to score 30 plus every week and he might do it, but it's just tough to swallow a 9k wide receiver in your cash lineups you know i think that's a fair point um i'm not too worried about aaron jones coming back and how that'll affect him because you know the packers are running with 99 percent aaron jones right now and jamal williams so Mm. (laughs) (laughs) um one of the crazier stats that i saw today was when i was scrolling through the game logs saw my guy cooper cup you know he had a pretty good game uh, 11 receptions for 119 targets but you scroll a little further on the box score this man had 21 targets what the fuck <laughs> uh, how you getting 21 targets uh, what happened in this game i mean the dolphins got out to a lead early uh what two defensive scores or i should say a punt return for a touchdown and then a fumble return for a touchdown so the rams got down big early they had to turn to golf to try and lead them back in this game and you know if the rams are losing i think cooper cup is the guy that golf is going to look towards and we saw that today 21 targets for cooper cup i don't know how he didn't catch 10 of those because he usually runs high percentage routes so that that was surprising but yeah cooper cup is the wide receiver one in los angeles i think um robert woods is obviously very good and, and they're very close but i think when it's all said and done if the rams need to throw it's going to go to cooper cup yeah i mean cooper cup definitely been the guy that i preferred there drafted a lot of him in best ball drafted almost no robert woods i think that they're comparable players but i think cups I just think his upside is higher. I think that we saw it last year when through the first eight weeks of the season, he was essentially right behind Michael Thomas in fantasy points per game. I've just seen that ceiling out of him, despite the consistency that Robert Woods has. That being said, you know, if I've learned anything from the back and forth in the Seattle wide receiver core from DK Metcalf to Tyler Lockett, I mean, I think that this means we've got a 40 bomb coming out of Robert Woods next week. Don't know who they're playing. But I think Robert Woods is going to put up 40. You heard it here first. <laughs> a bold prediction for next week. Doesn't even know who they're playing. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Marquise Brown. Hollywood Brown. What a guy. Tweeted out something interesting. Deleted it almost immediately. He said, quote, What's the point of having soldiers when you never use them? In quotations, never. Two exclamation points. What does that mean? How do you interpret that? I interpret it as that Lamar Jackson cannot connect on, you know, a throw to Hollywood Brown, and he's just pissed. He went, what, one catch for three yards and one touchdown in this game. You know, I think he just wants to be more involved in the offense. The Ravens are a run-first team, as we saw in this matchup with two of their running backs having over 15 touches each and he's just pissed and I would be too if I was you know an explosive player not getting the ball because you know this is a Tyree Kill 2.0 and they don't use them how the Chiefs use Tyree Kill so maybe it's because Lamar Jackson is no Patrick Mahomes I mean we've had conversations off pod where I've just shit on Lamar Jackson so you know my take you know my take on it Look, you I know mean, I get it, though. It. You, have, you have weapons like Willie Sneed and Miles Boykin. You have to force targets to them. <laughs> you absolutely have to. I don't know what you're doing if you're not. You know, Marquise Brown, he tweeted it. He deleted it. You know, we'll see if anything develops. You know, we're starting to see some some chinks in the armor here in Baltimore. They are definitely not the team they were last year. 
you know, everything was all happy when they were winning every game and blowing every team out, you know, big trust, all this and that. Everybody's the best, happiest player of all time. Well, let's see if that remains when they start losing. And while we're on the subject of Baltimore, let's talk about their backfield. Mark Ingram was out this week, and we saw a pretty even split between my son, Gus the Bus, went 16 for 87 and 1, whereas the explosive rookie, J.K. Dobbins, had 15 attempts for 113 yards plus a reception for 8. And I think that was pretty impressive, honestly. You know, Dobbins going over 100 yards against an extremely stout Pittsburgh Steelers defense. So my question to you is, you know, how do you see this situation playing out rest of season? I think the bus is a good player, but they gave him about a 50-50 split this week. And, you know, I think that, you know, Dobbins is showing it. Yeah, I mean, I think both uh, Gus the bus and Dobbins are solid young running backs. And, you know, my thing is, is how can you give Mark Ingram touches after what you saw in your two young running backs today? So when Mark Ingram comes back and they still feed him, you know, 10 to 15 touches, how can you do that with these two running backs on your team? I mean, we've been down on Mark Ingram for the entire season, the entire offseason when we were doing best ball. We said he shouldn't even be drafted in like the top 15 rounds. You know, he's just an old, slow running back. And I think it's time for the young guns to shine and who knows if the Ravens will let that happen when Mark Ingram gets healthy I mean you certainly think that they would they invested the second round pick in Dobbins but you know as we're learning across the league especially at the running back position that doesn't mean much let's transition to another running back second round pick that just I can't figure this one out Joey you know what happened to the idea that after the bye week the Colts were going to commit to their quote-unquote talented rookie running back Jonathan Taylor this man Jordan (laughs) Wilkins had a career high 20 attempts this absolute bonafide scrub Naheem Hines scored two touchdowns and then Trent Richardson 2.0 aka Jonathan Taylor (laughs) gets 11 carries and averages two yards per carry what's going on I this this tilted me because I played a lot of Jonathan Taylor and he botched some of my lineups that you know could have been real good yeah i mean it was a perfect game script for taylor they got out big on the lions early and so you would expect for him to have a healthy workload well turns out like you said jordan wilkins comes in and has 20 attempts who would have thought and then naheem hines you know you said he's a bona fide scrub he he's not bad he's a good pass catching running back and you know he's he did score two touchdowns in this game but Jonathan Taylor is a very capable running back or so we thought is he a scrub is Jonathan Taylor a bust that that's my question to you is he a bust for for 2020 I mean for 2020 absolutely if this wasn't the spot I don't think there will be a spot like you said perfect game script for him he had the perfect matchup the Colts were up essentially the entire game and they opted to feed Jordan Wilkins they had the full buy to integrate what we thought was the most talented player in their backfield into more of a workhorse role. And he was really the third running back. He did out-touch Naheem Hines, but Hines had the value touches in scoring position. So I, I just don't see if, you know, you couldn't confidently play Taylor in a spot like this. I don't know when you would feel good about it at any point Never. in the future. So yeah, I mean, if you do have Jonathan Taylor sell. in sell say, season long, yeah, sell him while you still can, because I think that you know, his worth is going to continually decline. As far as like the rest of his outlook, I don't know. You know, I'm noted as not being someone who pays much attention to college football. 
All I knew is that he was the most generational, best running back prospect since Saquon Barkley. That's what everybody told me. That's what all the trusted sources said. But it doesn't appear to be the case. I, I don't know. Going from the Big Ten to the NFL is a huge transition. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor was a guy that Wisconsin rode all of his years there. He had 2,000 plus yards in each of his three seasons. And, you know, it, it's it's a different game the NFL it's not college there you know you're facing grown-ass men dudes that are twice the size of him and he can't even average three yards a carry right now <laughs> he, he doesn't have any of the excuses though you know because Jordan Wilkins is doing it right in the same offense and he's playing behind one of the best offensive lines in the league and he has a cupcake strength of schedule for the rest of the season so I just I don't know I mean correct me if I'm wrong but isn't there a thing about Wisconsin running backs busting in the NFL or am I tripping uh, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you about Wisconsin running backs. I don't know. I think Melvin Gordon went there. James White went there. So those are two pretty solid running backs. So okay. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but maybe Jonathan Taylor just sucks. And we just have to realize that maybe he's just trash and you should just sell him wherever you have him. I think, I think that might be the case. It might be. And I would, if I did, but I don't have very much Jonathan Taylor, thankfully, Finally, Joey, let's close out the show with another young rookie player, one who made his NFL starting debut this week, Tua Tangavailoa. You know, I didn't get to catch too much of this game. I don't know if you did, but do you have any thoughts on Tua? It seemed like it would be a hard game script to really judge him on, what with the Dolphins defense scoring twice, so he wasn't really needed. He kind of just had to scrape by enough to get the W, which he did, won his first NFL start and won us our, you know, money line bet on the underdog, which was nice as well. But uh, Tua, I mean, any thoughts? They just tried to hide Tua as much as possible in this matchup. And I don't understand why, like if he's healthy and good to go, you should just let him play how Ryan Fitzpatrick plays, where it's kind of just a, a YOLO effort session out there and they didn't do that they uh ran the ball a good amount Tua only threw the ball 22 times now like I said the Dolphins got out big early which could have led to you know less attempts for Tua but he didn't look too bad he only had like 70 or 80 yards passing for a touchdown um you know, it, it was just more so the fact that the Dolphins didn't want him. They didn't want, really want him to be exposed like that is how I would put it. They they just wanted to limit to as much as possible. And it showed. I watched the game, actually. Well, luckily it worked out this week, but I don't think the Dolphins will be lucky enough to get two defensive touchdowns on a weekly basis, although their defense is definitely slept on, or at least it was. I think it's a legit defense at this point. But I think we'll see a very accurate test of Tua, and he will definitely be in DFS consideration next week going up against the Cardinals. I think that'll be a really mm -hmm. interesting game to see Tua flash because, you know, it'll be paced up. It's a pretty soft defense on the other side. Going to see a lot of passing, going to see a lot of Tua. So looking forward to that. But that's going to be it for episode 102 of the DFS Dose podcast. Like Joey said at the top of the show, you can support us by following on any major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you listen to podcasts. We are there. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We are like three subscribers away from 100. You could be that person. You know, we would always remember you. Oh, hey, you know, so-and-so, you were the 100 subscriber. It'll, it'll be etched into our brains. So go be that person. We would greatly appreciate it. You can also follow the DFS Dose at 
the DFS Dose on Twitter, as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carey and DFS. All right, guys, we will be back on Thursday to preview the entire week nine NFL slate. We'll talk to you then.